0: Football on Off The Ball.
1: Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Pat Nevin on the line, hello.
2: Hello. I love that mix, by the way. Very Manchester nice. Band, yeah. Man United. It actually worked brilliantly. I'm impressed by that.
1: Didn't it? That was a good five minutes of our meeting this afternoon. How will we combine the Pat Nevin music with the commentary we have? And actually, it was a simple conversation. It's very nice.
2: Uh, well, I'm impressed. Well done. Um, and by the way, they were quite good as well, United, weren't they?
1: Yeah. So I mean, we, 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 just, um, we were just we just thrown it around here at the start of the show. So uh, we have seen the good vibes aspect to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We've seen the man management. We've seen... Uh, some, uh, in some respects overlooked the, um, the understanding and the respect for the traditions of the club. You know, it's, it's been interesting to see how quickly they've been restored in some respects. And now, Pat, maybe exemplified best by that goal, we have seen some tactical acumen as well. Now,
2: mm-hmm. well, uh, first of all, the, the speed in which Pogba gets the ball out of his feet to make the pass was brilliant. It, it's kind of one that was once where it looks like a really good pass and anyone can see that. But the ball's come to him, and he's moved it so quickly. He's very little backlift because he knows he's getting closed down. And still plays a brilliant ball in knowing the pace that Rashford's got. Um, so all in all, yeah, brilliant goal. But you're absolutely right about the attitudes. You know, looking at all those players, you know, yeah, he's getting more at Rashford, 100%, get more at Pogba. But look at Martial. Is, is that the same guy? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's incredible to see the difference. Um, I've said to you many times before. You know, I watched him over in France and thought that's a top quality player. Um, you know, more of a kind of a false nine, stroke ten, not a winger in a million years. Um, but he's been moved him more centrally, um, so he can basically float there and look for spaces. But when he gets a ball and he runs at people, it just looks at a completely different dynamic with that player as well. So, if you're getting very good players and getting much, much more out of them very quickly. And on top of that, just saying to them, you know, I think you're pretty good. Um, this club's all about attacking. Go and show you what you're good at. And there's, there's very few things that any sportsman likes better than being told, go and express yourself. Because, you know, the belief and confidence that comes with that is incredible. And you can see it coursing through that. Having said all that, mm. to be fair, in another day, they probably should have been beaten with that amount of chances. <laughs> and De Gea was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yes, he timed his superman display very nicely from a Solskjaer point of view. When we talk about the, um, the formation, Jesse Lingard said in Dubai, we practiced all week that formation in Dubai, um, and said that was very much the plan to go out with the split strikers and, and Lingard, I don't know if it's diamond or not, but at, the, um, at the, the front of that diamond at times. So, Solskjaer clearly identified the fact that uh, Spurs pushed their fullbacks up the pitch and, and, and came up with this plan. Like it's very easy for me in retrospect to understand it and to see it, and you could see it actually in the match as it transpired as well. But I mean, that that would have required a fair bit of creativity, a bit of thought. Like that, that was promising stuff from Salscare, wasn't it? Uh,
2: and a good bit of memory as well. I mean, the diamond formation was, you know, really popular years ago. It kind of fell out of favour when everybody went to the four-two-three-one, um, and it's. I mean, there's teams come back to, you know, all these systems. Are actually, versions of the same thing a lot of the time. Yeah. Unless it's three at the back, you know, a four-four-two can be played in a, a number of ways. And, you know, it can be played in a, like a four-three-one-two or a four-one-three-two. Um, but in actual fact, it's it's all versions of that different system. But if you've got the right players to play it as a diamond, and really that's the best system to suit Pogba because he comes in from an attacking wide midfield area. And you have to find out whether the opposition, you know, have any weaknesses or where their strengths are and see if you can nullify them. That all makes sense. But you do, I'm not going to get completely carried away. Yeah, okay. It's been a great run. <laughs> but they should have scored about four goals, Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant chances. And another day, Harry Kane sco- scores two or three of them. And then the questions would have been totally different. They would have been, well, he's a bit naive. He's got that wrong, etc. Yeah. So it's one of those days where... Yeah, once again, we're still applauding uh, Solskjaer. He's got a lot of things right. He's getting the best out of players. Um, tactical genius, I'll kind of leave that for the moment. I think oh, we'll have to wait and see. Got it right on that occasion. But mm. problem is we're at the top of the Premier League. You have to keep on get, getting it right all the time. But he's got them back. They're part of the conversation now. You know, they are the leveling points for Arsenal. So, you know, Chelsea aren't flying at the moment. Mm. They're just about, you know, keeping going at the rate they were going before, but not flying away. So they're definitely, you know, part of the conversation getting into that top four. Um, And on top of that, it's kind of good to be chasing when you're on a roll. Yeah. And the fans are loving it as well. So they're they're riding the crest of that wave. And it's fantastic just now. Um, And everyone's happy for Solskjaer because I've still not met anyone who doesn't like him.
1: No. No. Um, Pochettino is the heir apparent, uh, the man in demand, obviously. Um, Darren Fletcher was on Match of the Day 2 last night and he was just asked why, uh, why did Spurs dominate the second half so comprehensively and one of the main reasons he gave was, well, they switched to a four-two-three-one, and the full-backs stopped pressing up as high. You know, they, they, they had wingers in front of them and they were just... A, that, that touch more defensive. So if we accept that for a second, then I'm struggling to understand why it took Pochettino so long to recognize what Man United were up to because there were several moments, several occasions in the first half before the goal where your two centre-halves were left in a 2v2 with Martial and Rashford. They were clearly staying up the pitch and you don't want your centre-halves in a 2v2 with Martial versus Rashford. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering why the air apparent, Pochettino, didn't shut that down a bit more quickly in that game.
2: So part of the reason is they were the home side. You know, they're trying to, you know, impose themselves on the opposition. Um, and if you caught, you know, man and man a couple of times, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, Right, we'll have to deal with it. Mm. Um, the, the simple thing is to get one of your full backs to just cover a little bit, you know, it's, it's not rocket science that one. Um, and maybe as a player on the field, I would suspect my defenders should be able to read that, okay. You know, and somebody to drag them back and say, Look, hey. I'm back a bit. We're getting exposed here a little bit. Mm. So, that, but I think probably more the fact that he expected his team to, you know, A, take their part of the game. You know what it's like in games? If you react and you react negatively and defensively sometimes, you know, it can actually just hand more to the opposition. I don't think he wanted to do that. Mm. I think he wanted to slug it out a little bit with them, feeling he had better players and, and more specifically, they were at home. Mm. Of course, they don't want a draw. wasn't much good to either team, so they were kind of happy to slug it out a little bit. And again, Pochettino might say to you that same phrase. Well, in the end, yeah, I adapted it and still did enough that we should have won the game with the opportunities we had. So mm. it was a good game. You know, it was an entertaining game. Yeah. It was an exciting game, and it was it was all you know. It could have been any story at all with five minutes to go. Anything could have happened. If Spurs would have got two late goals, would you Would any of one have been shocked? I wouldn't mm. have been with the chances that were created. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where there's a lot of games this season where I've watched and a lot of people want to take a lot out of one game. That was just one game. Spurs are a tough team to do that with. You watched them, watched them very closely when they played Chelsea recently um, and hammered Chelsea because they got the tactics brilliantly right. Mm. I mean, absolutely superbly. They killed Chelsea that day and it, it was three. It could have been much, much more. But then they tried to do exactly the same thing against Chelsea two weeks later in the Carabao Cup. Uh, and although they won one now, they were really lucky. And Chelsea were the better side. So, you know, it's, you, tactics have to be adaptable. And that's one of the great things I'm liking about the Premier League just now. There's a lot of coaches out there that are adapting, not just game to game, but throughout games as well. By the way, Sari isn't. But everybody else seems to be adapting and yeah. changing.
1: I suppose I should declare an interest. I was a childhood Manchester United fan, so when Solskjaer scored in Barcelona, it was the greatest moment in my 13 and a half years on the planet at that stage. You may need to rein me in over the coming months, as I as I say, Solskjaer, for the main job.
2: I, I wouldn't rein you in. If he keeps it going like this, I would be shouting and screaming for him to get it. Mm. Uh, there's no downside to that, I don't think, um, because he, he epitomises what the club's about. Um, you... Don't don't get overexcited because you know still big big questions to be asked. You know they're going to get beat at some point. How mm. do they react to that? How does he react to that? Mm. You know they have a day where it's not right. You know he will make one or two tactical mistakes. Every manager does. How do they react to that? And that's the big thing. But you can't make a better start than he's made just now. Um, can I, can I make you jealous about that Champions League final?
1: Don't I tell was, me you were there.
2: I, I was on the halfway line,
1: yeah.
2: two seats back, um, two rows back. Um, And I'd been asked to go by the chap who was buying the club that I was going to. And I'm going to very quickly tell you this. He'd never been to a game before. And I said to him, you've got to go to a game before you buy this football club. And he says, there's a game tomorrow. And I went, yes, I think you'll find that's the Champions League final. And he goes, yeah, I've got two tickets if you want them. I went, what? (laughs) And I said to him, you'll never get a hotel. And he says, well, I part own the hotel and the stadium. Of course he does. I went, right. Mm. There's no chance you'll get a flight this late. The game's tomorrow. He says, We'll take the Lear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did he buy the club?
2: Well, the mad thing is, it all came down to that Solskjaer goal because, with like 88 minutes, there was two mates there with him as well. And they said, This is rubbish. We're off.
1: Yeah, not really. <laughs> and they wow. walked away. Gosh. And I
2: said to him, If you walk now, I'm not going to that club. And he stayed. Uh, Five minutes later, he was addicted to football.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, that would do it. Yeah, George Best famously left before the two goals actually on the night. Um, On uh, Spurs and the the missed chances, I noticed in the in the commentary at the time, Gary Neville was absolutely praising De Gea, but was also sort of saying, you know, they're 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 within saving range. They're within uh, certain parameters for him to get to actually and, and and he wasn't so sure about the Spurs finishing. Um so maybe your thoughts on that and I don't know, maybe when you've got a great keeper like De Gea and goal it puts more pressure on the striker too.
2: Yeah, I mean there's a lot of the times everyone will tell you the same thing. It's about his positioning. You know the ball comes straight to you a lot of the time because you've put yourself in exactly the right place to be. Mm. I think his reactions were fantastic with his feet. Um yeah, many times particularly tall goalkeepers, if you keep it hard and low it goes by them. They don't move their feet quickly enough. And it just maybe six inches, you need to move it, and it reacts. It cannot be a fluke that he makes so many close-range saves with his feet. Mm. It can't be a fluke anymore. He's just so brilliant at it. So I'm certainly on, on the hair side to say that he had a brilliant game. Okay, he's not flown into the top corner, You know, clipped one over the bar with all the photographers grinning. You know, but that's not what all goalkeeping's about. Mm. Um, and I think all the other stuff that he did, they, they were fantastic. And if you're, you know, sometimes if you are, you know, one on one with a goalkeeper, uh, and you've got maybe a couple of seconds or a second or two, which, which is an eternity really, you know, to think about it, there's a big difference if you've got a keeper that you think isn't that good mm. and isn't going to read it, and one who is brilliant. And I found myself in that position before. They get inside your head sometimes, and yeah. that's what they're trying to do. And the more saves he makes like that, almost the harder you try and you snatch at things, I think. Well, some people do. And it's just really unusual to see Harry Kane to some degree doing it as well. But I would put it more down to good saves.
1: Right, OK. I must actually know that you mentioned uh, Neville Southall was on about 18 months ago, two years ago. I was it, thinking
2: about him, by yeah. the way, when I said that. I'm sure, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like to go against him in, in training every day. Uh, but he said he preferred Larice as a keeper, he didn't actually, he, at the time we were speaking to him, he didn't especially like De Gea's use of his feet, he felt it was suspect technique, and I was just thinking there we should get him on and ask him to analyse yesterday, because it looked to me like, the, as you said, the feet were about the only way he was going to save some of those shots.
2: Um, I tend not to argue too much with Neville, because he will find me, and he'll get me, he'll turn out my house and beat me up, in a, in a very funny way. Um, but, yeah, I, I, th- I think Neville's a very different type of goalkeeper. You know, sure. most Neville's where um saves where hands or getting, positioning himself and reacting well with his hands and getting down and reading you. Um, I must have told you the story before about Neville uh, playing in goals. With, we were doing a, a drill, 20-yard shots, and there was players like Sharpie and Sheets and Tony Quotty myself. And after 20 minutes, we hadn't scored, and uh, he wasn't using his hands. Wow. He was reading everything with his head and his shoulders and diving up. And it was stunning. He was unbelievable. So a different type of keeper. the mm. um, Gea has his methods, has his way. Mm. And it was brilliant. He was in top form on that occasion. So I'm taking nothing away from him. But I am saying on another day, they could have been well beaten in Manchester United on the day. But, you know, take the luck when you get it. Mm. And, and that's, that's a bit of a thing about Solskjaer. Remember him coming on a lot of games. And sometimes you think, well, what is it uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually does? Apart from scoring goals, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, and then then you think, I say that's quite a good thing to do. Yeah. And it was just, a, it was astonishing at it, absolutely astonishing at it. But every I remember people used to say he's getting a bit lucky. He Always seems to come on when people are tired, and the chances always come. After a while, it, it just it's not luck. You, you're there for a reason.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe that isn't that the interesting parallel with his management now. We're waiting to see. Over a more sustained period, is there a bit of luck going on, or is actually is he gonna, is he gonna have the, this kind of look routinely? Um, Jesse Lingard was saying in Dubai that Salzgar spent a lot of time with Rashford, working mm-hmm. on finishing and talking about finishing, which was um, which was interesting. I, I guess a broader uh, theme for Manchester United, which has really struck me, is you know the fact that it is uh, Fellaini on the bench and Mata on the bench and Lukaku now only coming off the bench. It's amazing how uh, quickly he's managed to, to banish the Van Gaal Mourinho approach and go back to those broader 50, 60, 70 year traditions at the club of uh, pace and attacking football. Like, he's it, it, almost instantly restored that. And it, and it feels, you know, f- almost embedded now for the rest of the season and beyond. Like, I heard Gary Neville speaking briefly after the game yesterday, and he was saying the club now should never go back to the whims of one given manager, that the philosophy of the club should be respected properly because it hasn't been post Ferguson.
2: Yeah, you could say that to some degree. I think there was different problems with each different manager. Um, and certainly the extreme version of it was Jose Mourinho because he took it away from the whole concept of how Manchester United are as an, eth- an ethos and an ethic. So, yes, I can see that to some degree, but every decision is different. By the way, can I go slightly back to one thing about Solskjaer? When yeah. we first talked about coming in... Um, Everyone was talking about, oh, remember the failure at Cardiff. And I said, I took nothing from that. Not a thing from his time at Cardiff. Because he, was, he basically took a basket case. And you probably nobody could have turned that and made it any good at all. Mm. So I took nothing from that. And he was there a short time as well. Mm. Um, the rest of his career as a manager has been very good. So when you hear him talking, and I've heard various players now talking about various things that he's done. You know, his words that he said to Lukaku, the direction you're playing, very simple things. Mm. Um, They all sound perfectly sensible so when I'm saying about Solskjaer, I'm not saying it's not going to work I have A, a suspicion it probably will and B, I really want it to work Mm. as much as anything else but I'm not going to say it has definitely worked yet and that was the one thing I would say about that. Um, Talking about that attitude, it's just all the paces there, you know all the players like Marshall always were pacey, Rashford, you know Pogba's got plenty of that energy about them, and he's just saying to them, use it all. Mm. Whereas you talk about Mata, I love him as we many of us do. Yeah, energy and pace isn't what he's all about, it's about something else. And you're right, it's, it's a completely different attitude. And the lovely thing about it is, it's nothing like Manchester City. So now, if they do get back to being a powerhouse, Manchester United it's gonna be a completely different way, yeah. which is gonna make it brilliant because you're gonna have two totally different styles against each other.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Um, Our time is always shorter at half seven than it is after nine. Is there anything very, very briefly, so I'm not kicked out the door here for going uh, too far over time, from the weekend that you wanted to mention?
2: Really quick, I was at the Chelsea game. You know I always go on about David Luiz. I'm pleading that some people start seeing the light quite soon. He was absolutely phenomenal, again. Yeah. But one thing it was noticeable, Jorginho got a lot of stick from Chelsea fans, and from the manager, they being closed down, and the centre ho- uh, forward Rondon closed them down. Problem is, I think that's what was meant. I think Sari's delighted with it because when they all closed him down, what happens? Luis gets so much time in the ball, and he's played double the amount of through balls of anybody else in the league this season, and they're leading to the goals now. Palace, and then this goal that he's, he's set up this week, he should have been two more because the linesman got it wrong a couple of times. David. He has the odd bad day, but he's genius.
1: Okay, beautiful note to finish on. Pat, thanks a million. See you next week. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. So we'll have Adam Pope back in the football show this evening. He covers Leeds United. Really good guest. We spoke to him at the start of the year about everything he was expecting from uh, Bielsa. And certainly on the pitch, they've got lots of good things. They're top of the table. They're coming back to the Premier League. Dan, Leeds back in the Premier League. And, of course, Spygate has erupted. Spygate. Yeah,
3: there's a lot of Leeds fans in Ireland as well. So that actually yeah. will be um, that will be sort of something that actually captivates
1: people. Oh, come out of the woodwork, Dan.
3: It's one of my... Yeah, I've not been to Leeds, actually. I've not been to a game in Leeds. And um, I sort of want to tick off the list, you know, because they've, they've sort of been in the doldrums for a period of time. And you just feel that if they do go... Back, it's still not quite when they do get back. If they do, I'd, you'd imagine there'd be a sort of great buzz yeah. around it. When you have one of these sort of old towns that needs, you know, needs football, like its football club can sort of shape the mood of the area uh, for them to get back into the Premier League will
1: be something else. It's and, grim uh, what you're saying, Dan. It's grim in Leeds.
3: Um, uh, no, I'm not saying it's grim. I haven't been there, so I can't actually comment on it. So you're, you're, you're
1: just assuming that it is.
3: But um,
1: I thought that's what you're saying. No, no.
3: But I, I started,
1: started reading
3: the book today, like a football man. It's like a famous book from I think it's a reprint from the '60s or '70s. I got it for Christmas, and it does like it's, it Good looks into it's, No, it's not. It's actually fa- fascinating. Okay. Brilliant. No, it's one of the, sort of considered to be one of the best football books ever written. And I've never actually what's read it. What's it, it. called? Uh, a football man written by Arthur, oh it's very well known as, I, sh- I should know his surname. I'll google it here. Uh, and like the first chapter is a brilliant profile of George Best written at the time, okay. written in 1968 I think, um, Arthur Hopcraft or something like that, Hopgrave, but uh, The Ford by Michael Parkinson. It's I only started it today, started it this morning. Hopcraft.
1: Yeah. And Arthur Hopcraft, the football man.
3: It's, uh, it's meant to be fantastic and I only started it today, but part of the first chapter just like, touches on a lot of these English towns and how football became embedded. This is written in the 60s, you know, this, I think that particular piece was written in the 60s, and how just football is the electricity almost for these, some of these places, for some of these towns.
1: Can I give you a sense of it? This is in The uh, Guardian, a review written back in 06 by David Winner. Yeah. Uh, not so long ago this book about football in the 60s, it resurfaced And he says, Arthur Hopcraft saw himself as a reporter trying to reach to the heart of what football is and examine the game through its players, managers, directors and fans. The book is a mixture of penetrating observation and encounters with those such as a young George Best, Stanley Matthews, Alf Ramsey, Duncan Edwards' father, Gladstone, that must be his father's name, I presume, and Derek Dooley, the brilliant Sheffield Wednesday centre-forward whose leg had to be amputated after a collision with a goalkeeper. At that time, few intellectuals took football seriously. Hopcraft, journalist, novelist, screenwriter. He later became known for his TV adaptation of John le Carré's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Mm. Interesting. Had a different view. Football, he wrote, has more significance in the national character than theatre has. Its sudden withdrawal from the people would bring deeper disconsolation than to deprive them of television. The way we play the game, organise it and reward it reflects the kind of community we are, said Hopcraft.
3: That's it. So, well, I don't know, like maybe it's maybe it's 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 very highbrow stuff and I'm sure it was considered such at the time, like with the tone of it there. But I mean, it starts off it starts off like you know, you're sort of captivated okay. by the stories of a young best. But it does just remind you how some of these as I said, the English towns, like football is the heartbeat of it. But when it's, you mention it, Le- when, uh, no, yeah. when you mentioned hobby, it's it is the what's the Sunderland, Sunderland pro, yeah. When
1: you mentioned Leeds there I thought of the Sunderland um, documentary where it frankly does seem a bit grim. I don't know if Leeds in the same boat.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, as I said, it's just one of these places just an aberration. I've just never been there just because they've been out of it for a while and even didn't have Irish, like I generally would end up going to, you know, to where a lot of the Irish players would be hmm. and even over the last period of time, there hasn't been a huge amount of, although of course we've got Patrick Bamford.
1: Yeah, we've got to move on yeah. here. So I tell you what, we'll, we have Adam Pope on later on. I'll ask him about Leeds and mm. how football fits into the city, and economically, where is Leeds? Because I've no idea, actually. Yeah, um, go for it. We don't talk about it that often. So, um, to sum up the Pat and Evan conversation I had earlier on, podcast, list, podcast listeners will have just heard it, Dan uh, Spurs, No Manchester United 1. Uh, it was uh, generally me saying things like, God, he's amazing, and Pat and Evan saying things like, Calm down, I'm reserving judgment just yet. It looks very positive and everything, but just calm down. As I said, you know.
3: Like you know, Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League. You know, like a lot can happen in a in a short period of time. That was
1: different, though, wasn't it? It, w- it was different. That was a self-running Chelsea dressing room. They did that with every manager that came along around then.
3: No, that's true. But Abram
1: Grant standing ten feet away from John Terry giving the team but, talk. But as we
3: said earlier, like you know, is this the genius of Solskjaer coming in, or is the genius is, or is it just simple that he's letting the players breed a small bit, and that they've they've come out of this like oppressive regime, you know, where people weren't happy and inhibited and constantly, uh, you know, everyone seemed to be engaged in a sort of permanent sense of conflict. Yeah. And it's just liberating to come out of that. And what we're seeing now is that liberation. I know there was, you know, sophistication to what they did yeah. in terms of uh, unpicking, you know, the, sort of picking the lock of Spurs and, and getting the goal that they did. He caught him out, um, Gary Neville. Yeah, caught him out. But at the same time, you know, they also... Uh, their goalkeeper was also exceptional. So yeah. I just don't think I, I know the, like the whole a- argument is well you know people said the first four or five games were easy, and then they now they win a match of substance and, and now you're picking faults for it again. But I mean, you know they also beat Juventus this year. You know away that so was they, different though I know uh, nature uh, of
1: that performance there was no plan in that performance different. that was just a random occurrence of events it for happens. 90 minutes it
3: happens But it, it, this, I, was do- it.
1: this was totally are different how are we having
3: this chat if, if Spurs take
1: some of their chances what chat are we having?
3: the, the chat where I think there's an underlying theme here where you're like i go on uh, give, them the, give them the gig you're, you're getting caught up in the moment you're definitely if you're sitting in that boardroom now you're sort of one of those people that's saying one of those people. Uh, no, no. I shouldn't have, these people do exist now in in Paris corridors of power. that are thinking, but why not? Like, I mean, I, I think it's a very natural feeling to think it because when you have something that's working, as we mentioned earlier, there's someone that
4: yeah.
3: knows the club. It's it is tempting. Like he he's a couple more wins like this away, probably from 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 maybe getting it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't say, think this one is enough. Like no, I don't think
1: this one is enough. I'm not saying that either. No. No. If I'm one of those people in the boardroom, I'm not saying that we should give him a contract tomorrow. How soon would you?
4: Would
1: well, you I mean, wait, I, I, do you wait I, till I, the end of the season anyway? Well, I certainly think the PSG game is, is That's a huge tie. It's the mood music there, yeah. You know, depending on that, how that goes, but there, like, there are real arguments in his favour. So, look, the initial uh, good vibes he brought to the club that was they were really important, and he's such a likable character and he's warm, and you know, it, it was obviously going to be there was, there was going to be a bounce invariably, but. Like he, he and there's the the tactical sophistication. The first sign of some tactical sophistication against a really good manager yesterday as well, uh, which was important. But in between all that, he has reinstated the values of the club, which is different to just making everybody feel good about themselves again. And I said it to you in the news round. It's not just that he's found a way to win. It's the way he has found to win. It is that the Matas of the world, the Fellainis of the world, and to a lesser extent the Lukakis of the world have been sidelined because there is now an adherence to fast attacking Energy, Paris.
3: having a goal yeah. and so on. Yeah. And that,
1: is, that is the Manchester United of the 90s, the Manchester United a lot of fans in my age would have grown up on. And that's part of a broader tradition which goes back to Busby. Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, I thought almost, I I'd I resigned myself to the fact that actually that Manchester United passed with Ferguson and we would therefore, Manchester United would therefore be at the whim of whatever manager happened to be in place. Whereas actually Solskjaer has almost reinstated the broader traditions of the club and done it really quickly. Like it, it, it now almost seems, Manchester United cannot go back to a manager who does not play that fast attacking football when they're the richest club in the world and they can bring in these fast players and have these great players. So that in some ways, if I was at the board, I would be saying, regardless of the results and maybe Spurs beat them 2-1, the point is, Spurs beat them two one, but they had a thre- Man United had a threat, and it was a proper game, and right. they went about it the right way, and therefore we could be on to something here.
3: So if you're one of those one of those people, <laughs> if, if you're in that room, but if you're in that room and this is a very massive Hi, high- can I
1: sit ne- <laughs> next to Alex Ferguson?
3: <laughs> yeah, me yeah. Well, if you're next to Ferguson, you're agreeing with Alex Ferguson. Let's be honest, yeah. most people would be. Um, if you're given the choice of Solskjaer or Pochettino tomorrow, what would you take?
1: Pochettino. Yeah.
3: You still would, wouldn't you? Of course. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't like completely got
1: caught up. However. Because
3: he takes so many of the boxes in terms of support of younger how, players. However, younger
1: if player. I could just interrupt you, Sir Alex. Oh. Can I propose, given everything Solskjaer has said about the nature of the club, given his understanding of football, can I propose that the vision of the club, Ferguson's favourite son, it turns out, uh, and our new director of football, everybody, mm. should be Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, it's a perfect position. How do you him. feel about that? He's if you the new manager,
3: but, but yeah, but if he goes on an amazing run, mm-hmm. see, what part does it become a motive here? Because there's even the stuff coming out. I, I mean, by not giving him the job. Well, if Salcedo goes an
1: amazing run, then he does get the job for Pochettino. You think? Well, yeah. I just think. I mean, as I sit here in the board, are we going to pay the 40 million? It's going to take. See, the longer it goes on, Pochettino. the more
3: awkward it becomes to not give him the job.
1: If the results continue, but I mean, if he bombs out against PSG. And the nice guy act is suddenly, you know, looks a little bit paper thin.
3: Because the, cause the, like, if you're running the club, do you want this to keep... I mean, obviously want it to keep going. Yes, you but do. But is there a point where it goes so far and goes so well that all of a sudden it becomes a real, a real conundrum? No, I,
1: if, if he continues this until the end of the season, Then it's not a conundrum. deep down, you
3: just I think this could just be one of these things, you know. (laughs) What is one of these things? I mean, a manager
1: only lasts one or two or three years anyway.
3: But that shouldn't be. That's not the Manchester United way, though.
1: You're talking about this Manchester United tradition. That's not the way. I do have to acknowledge there is a practical, real world, and there is never going to be a ten-year manager again at Manchester United. It's very unlikely.
3: No, maybe not ten.
1: But uh, if Salcedo could come in and do something for two, three, four years, and then Pochettino becomes available or whatever, Mm. I don't see it as a conundrum. Then, like, it's a conundrum if they have to go and get Pochettino. Well, we that's critically.
3: I mean that and I mean the, you know the lads sort of covering London seem don't seem so sure he's going to leave. Yeah. Um,
1: there is there is though like there is this desperation across the media. I was looking today reading various things. Everything Solskjaer does now, it's Ferguson-esque. Like it's quite extraordinary. So they were talking. It was it was a really good piece. You know, it was in the Telegraph because it, it clearly they'd spoken to people.
3: Oh, is this it's James Soccer it piece? So that, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. it
1: talked about the Reading game where at halftime Ferguson wasn't happy.
3: Oh, the hairdryer stuff. Yeah. So.
1: Any other manager, it would have been, he just got really angry at them. Solskjaer has to be Ferguson-esque, so it's the hairdryer. And then, uh, someone who had not seen Solskjaer in at least four years at the club, they were touched in that Solskjaer remembered their children's names. Mm. That's the most Ferguson thing ever. Learned from Jock Stein. Oh, yeah. Remember everyone's names. Steam. Remember,
3: people's, remember people's names in the corridor every morning when you were past. One coach but at the academy
1: it. level said he had spoken more to Solskjaer in one morning than he did to Mourinho in 18 months. Uh, one player this is the Telegraph piece, was uh, told he would not be playing because he had a crucial role to play in the game after that and Solskjaer needed him completely fit and focused. A classic Ferguson tactic. I'm not finished yet.
3: Oh, there's more Ferguson tactics to come.
1: There are. In Dubai then, guess what they were doing? They were doing games between the youngsters and the older players, which again was a classic Ferguson Ferguson thing. thing. So... Everything he does now, it's after Ferguson school, and that we're like the whole, the whole. There is such momentum behind this whole thing, and of course, He's buying horses next. Of the course, three baby. losses, three losses punctures the holding instantly, and it goes away.
3: Ferguson quickly. also, you know, would blank people on the collar some days too.
1: If like, oh, the like younger players, he, like players he, know everyone's if, name, but yet yeah. sometimes
3: he'd play, he'd give them a bit of, a bit of confusion for them as well.
1: Well, famously, there was a player who was walking by him and said, "Hi, Alex."
3: Put, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's you, he, who?
1: Mr. Ferguson's son.
3: How, like how would the high Ole go?
1: I think, think they all say hi, gaffer. Gaffer. It's
3: easier, the it's easier way to... I don't
1: know. But we were so sorry. Okay, look, I appreciate De Gea was ridiculous. But were you not impressed with the way Manchester United went about their business in the first half?
3: Well, in the first half, yeah. But, I mean, there was two halves in the game. <laughs> like, they were picked <laughs> apart a lot in the second half. But, like,
1: you no... Know,
3: of course, it's a really encouraging story, but I just you just have to like rein it in. But like this is the nature of like
1: sports what, debate. What what do I need, what do I need to rein in? What do I say? You,
3: you're, you you're really want to give him the job deep down?
1: Oh, sorry. You're, you're getting there. You're, I you, you want this to absolutely. Happen now. Really want to give him the job. However, I'm not on the. I'm not even close to being on the point of saying. Here's your three-year contract. But of course, like everything about this oh, is beautiful. Sore,
3: but you're sort of getting there, Joe. No, you really want to. <laughs> he doesn't have to do much more. No, I, I don't think he needs to do much more. You know, in what's fairness, the next
1: game? It's been how far does he need to go? Phenomenal, what he's done so far. Okay, phenomenal is a strong yeah, word.
3: Yeah, you that's really strong. <laughs> you're just a, you're just a sucker for the romance. Okay, can here. I put it to
1: you this way? He couldn't have done much more.
3: No, that's I mean, that's but grand. I mean, statistically, <laughs> a bang on. Point. I know.
1: I'm not talking statistically. <laughs> even if you lost against, even if Spurs had scored two goals late on, you would have said there was a real sign there that Solskjaer has a sophistication and a a, a tactical understanding that we hadn't hadn't seen because it wasn't required necessarily in the opening few games. And also, I even said to Brian Kerr and Nathan before the game yesterday, we had it live, he's broken the habit of several years of being able to pretty much predict the Man United starting 11. Mm. You know, Mourinho, we were sitting here saying, three years in, what's his best team? He doesn't have a clue. Like, they played against Spurs and Herrera was in a back three for United. Suddenly... I have a pretty good idea of what the Man United team is going forward. He's found the best team very quickly, or something that you could argue is the best team. Mourinho never even flirted with that.
3: Mm. That's
1: mm. impressive. No, it is. Like, in, and uh, he's got a lot on his plate, and he's
3: and he's and he's plucked that one out. No, like he, you know, it was. A, it turned out to be a very good decision to go for him right now as an antidote to what was there before. Yeah. But you, like, did, there comes a point where you know you you just you, you try to realize is this something is this just a reaction to what was there before or part of something really that's going to work I mean it's sometimes people hit on stuff like it's more not more than that yeah, yeah it's it's so you know sometimes just things and, and quirks happen and all of a sudden it, you know like bring Mike feeling back and, and yeah. people who are suited to the roles that they're in the specific jobs that they have within the club mm. Um but it, just, just a wild guy. I know you're not saying it's it's done, but like, yeah. He, stop he's, putting words in my but, mouth. But he, okay, but he's he, he's gonna get great press because, um, you know, the, the, he's got the important people on side. You know, a lot of the stuff about the United Way and stuff that Gary Neville's hitting. So you talk about how influential the whole class of 92 sort of. Uh, sphere of influence has been probably around recent
1: managers so they're on board with it so you can easily see how the momentum just builds but to be fair I, oh no totally he's got yeah. a great chance of getting it but why wouldn't they be on board you know Gary Neville was even uh, making the point you know he that podcast with Martin Tyler after some games and you know he was uh, saying like we, when they signed Mata he's like yeah Mata's a great player but it's actually a betrayal of mm. the values and what they're supposed to be about you know um, so I think I'd be very close to saying he should get the job all right. But, mm-hmm. as you say, it could blow up horribly and you know, all the good press disappears very quickly. Here is um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talking after the game. Uh, what he learned, Dan. We know what we've learned from the Spurs game. I know what I've learned, certainly. Uh, here's what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer learned.
4: Team spirit, uh, that's the first. Second of all, we can defend. Jonah, uh, Victor, fantastic with, uh, with Luke and... Uh, Ash next to them. Uh, we got the best goalkeeper in the world. I've said that many many times, and uh, we have got blistering pace up front. And then the goal was fantastic goal by Rash. It's a hard skill, you know, to score from that angle with the right foot with that uh, with the instep. I thought it was going to go near post, but it was a well struck finish. Will you
2: say he is the best goalkeeper in the world? I mean, today's performance is that as good as anything that you've seen?
4: Uh, well, he we had uh, was it one, uh, one against Arsenal a couple of years ago last year, but he should have kept. He should have held a few of them. Uh, so, but there's maybe one or two uh, fantastic saves, and and the rest of it was just about concentration and being in the uh, in the right position. And he's. We've had some great keepers at this club, and uh, I think he's challenging both Edwin and Peter for uh, for the number one spot, uh, historically. This game was never about me or him, never. Yeah, you made it out to be. Uh, for, for us it's three points, and uh, uh, we had to beat them today if we're going to have a chance to catch them. Of course, we were ten points behind them, now with seven, and seven points that's catchable uh, 13 impossible 10 difficult now we've got a chance so that's all you're going to say, secure Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane Dan yeah it seems
3: I mean it seems it, it, Martin O'Neill's definitely getting the Nottingham Forest job and it does seem like Roy Keane's going to come with him um, I, I, I'm fascinated to see how bit this one plays out you know I know I sort of we were chatting a bit off air there's sort of mixed views that sometimes like the Ireland manager moves on and it's like well there's an indifference to their next job. Even when Trap was being linked with jobs, it was like, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting, but it's past tense now. We've got other stuff going on here. There's Declan Royce's, all these things. But I just think the O'Neill Keane uh, angle and how it all ended with them and how we see uh, the way in which it's been reported, I suppose, today, and the contrast between like, the Irish perception of... Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane's time in the job <clears throat> and even, you know, sort of Irish pundits and, you know, Keith Andrews uh, spoke about earlier, I think, you know, to, to Jamie and just uh, Keith Andrews stuff in our paper tomorrow and other places and, um, you know, over here there's a weariness about the O'Neill-Keane thing and yet you do see in Nottingham, like, some of the fans being sort of vox pop today that they're almost thinking, not all there's some Irish Forest fans not that sort of enthused by it all, but there is this sense of, oh yeah, they know the club, club legends. That they'll give us a lift here. And can it work? You know, can it really work? Because O'Neill has been sort of portrayed in the English media as someone who was, who did all he could with a limited bunch of sort of Irish average Irish players. And if you give him the resources that he needs, the tools to work with, he will deliver success like he's delivered all throughout his career. Um, and he's going to a club with money, who are going to support him, and you listen to people who follow the championship closely believe nearly they should be doing better than they are um, and how You're he responds to that ninth. the ninth of the championship four points off the places they've been a mad club for the last you know sort of decade
1: 11 so. managers since 2011 yeah
3: and various different owners as well there's a Greek shipping magnate running the place at the moment uh, you know Keen, Keen, and, and O'Neill separately were both linked for this job at various times and there was even this feeling that they wouldn't go into the club because it was a bit of a basket case so there was fears about it but Clearly, um, clearly O'Neill's desperate to go back in and I think feels he has a point to prove. Mm-hmm. And he said that in a recent interview with a couple of, uh, couple of the English papers, which is the only interview he's really given since he's left the Ireland job. Um, and so maybe is he prepared to work in a climate that maybe he mightn't have accepted five, six years ago? He will we, have
1: money now, though.
3: Money, and this is it, but money, but potentially interfering or, you know, owners who, like for, for example, I Karanka who was there previously, would be regarded as someone whose teams maybe aren't great to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was under real pressure to, to make the team more attractive to watch. You know, to to make the style of play better, and that seemed to be something that was coming down from the top. Now, we know, you know, the perception of a Martin O'Neill side and and how it can go, um, and if they're not getting like how I just can't imagine Martin O'Neill taking too kindly to a knock on the door from someone saying, you know, Martin, the team isn't isn't great to watch you know can he sex you, it up can, a bit can he sex it up a bit he's not going to like that now maybe he's going to get assurances in these talks that actually just you know give me the rest of the season and just leave me at it yeah. and let me bring in the players that, that I want but we're going to find out pretty quickly if if that magic that you know that sort of cropped up at times when he was here as Ireland manager I mean he as it's the whole legacy debate when he left he still was responsible for some brilliant results yeah Um. But it's been a couple of years. Daniel he Taylor is stuff. a
1: heavy hitter, obviously in The Guardian, people read his stuff. He's and he knows good. Forrest
3: very well. He's a he's a he's a Forest man effectively, so he so have written books and stuff like that. He on says Forrest.
1: the hierarchy at Forest, and I dare say that literally is basically a quote and so he's been speaking to them. Mm. The hierarchy at Forest have noted the way O'Neill won promotion at Leicester and transformed a second tier side into one that secured four top ten finishes in the Premier League and one silverware. And it is, on the back of your point, striking to see the difference in interpretation of O'Neill standing in the game. O'Neill took uh, he lists through O'Neill's club achievements, which in fairness are excellent. Yeah. O'Neill subsequently he says took the Republic of Ireland uh, job, led a willing but limited group of players to knockout stages of Euro 2016, where they were eliminated by France. He also took Ireland to the qualifying uh, playoffs for the last World Cup at the expense of Wales, a side that reached Euro 2016 semi-finals. They lost to Denmark, and he left his position after an unsuccessful European Nations League, O'Neill has since faced heavy criticism from the Irish media about his style of play, whereas Forrest have taken the alternative view that he inherited the least talented group of players the country has produced for many years, and in fact overachieved by taking them to a major tournament, beating Italy and Germany the world champions in the process. And on the style of play issue, Taylor writes, and this is an opinion that the Forrest Hire Act hierarchy hold as well, obviously. At Villa, for example, his team scored uh, more times 71 in the 07-08 season than any other title and than any other year since the title winning Villa campaign back in 1980. So they yeah. have no fears about his um, ability to play good football.
3: But I guess it wasn't just style of play based. So what that really hasn't touched on is say the lack like mat- of the majority criticisms of yeah. the prep. And um, that's more troubling in some ways than Style of play stuff, and that's why I think O'Neill and Keane were particularly unhappy with Matt Dartley because that stuff that actually can is really is really yeah. damning. Yeah, and um, you know, that's something that I, I presume he he will come out to address that as well. Now, it is natural. I mean, when when. When Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane's first gig here was like a game against Latvia with 46,000 people there. And when O'Neill arrived, there was a tendency to look to the positives, not to think about his his flat ending at Sunderland.
1: It's true of almost every new managerial appointment.
3: The Roy Keane thing, you would think, well, I mean, think of what he brought to that Sunderland group, maybe less so than than his time at Ipswich. You've raised the
1: person I'm almost more interested in. I was very, very, very curious over Roy Keane's next move, and I'm surprised he's going to sign up for another two to three to four years, which invariably, because of the nature of football, will end in a sacking, as a number two. Well, uh, yeah, He obviously wonder. feels the rehabilitation, which was at its peak in 2016 of his managerial credentials, has now taken a bit of a nosedive. I, I thought he might think this is the age and the time to go out on his own. Is he signing up to be Martin O'Neill's number two? Well, I
3: mean, I suppose two, three, four years could be optimistic given Forrest's recent shelf life, but it would probably be the length of the contract. So, I mean, in an ideal world, that's what he's looking at. I mean... Yeah, it's true. Um, I, like, There seems to be a sort of a mixed view from sort of chatting to people involved in football that they, they, there would be a good a of thought that Keenstock is, has been really damaged by, you know, the, like the Harry Archer thing yeah. and, and that stuff, that like, almost brought up memories of some of the Ipswich stories towards the end. Some of the more um, contentious dressing room tales which would make people worry about giving him a chance and ironically like Roy Keane was damaged goods when he came to Ireland and I mean, six months later was offered the Celtic job effectively mm. you know, so that can change and you keep wondering is O'Neill ever going to keep the seat warm for Roy Keane somewhere and is, and is his best route of getting a good number one job being a good number two at a club or someone is popular and taking over from them eventually is that a better bet um, but I, I don't know what calibre of club job he was going to get say in the next year and I think he possibly would be in danger of all of a sudden he's been at work for 18 months again. And he's been, on, he's been a pundit for 18 months again. Yeah. And you're very much back to the start.
1: But um, uh, Look, it's going to be fascinating, there's no doubt. Can we get to the next story before we go over to Leeds? And that's Declan Rice's Declan Rice's Day on the Internet is the title of this next, next, next uh, segment, Dan. So Declan Rice scored a really good goal against uh, Arsenal. His
3: first goal, his first ever senior goal.
1: Was excellent throughout, was the general As is now the norm. As is now the norm and it's his birthday today, turns 20. Mm. So a few things happened which sparked intense uh, fervour. Declan Rice liked an Instagram post which said, future Ireland captain. That was yesterday.
3: But as Nathan Murphy has since discovered, Declan Rice likes a lot of Instagram posts.
1: It turned out Declan Rice liking a post he may not have given it huge thought. He may yeah. have, in fact, clicked like very, very quickly over lots of different posts. Happened to us all. But uh, at Deckers 10, liked JKK Kirwan's 11's comment, future Irish captain.
3: Big day for JKK Kirwan.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the FAI weighed, weighed in today. I thought embarrassingly. But
3: well, the Time important.
1: will tell. I actually don't think time will tell. It's, well, I mean, it will. I think either way, it's. Country. you think it's embarrassing either way yeah I just don't, I, don't, I, I think if he's about to declare for Ireland then be a bit more professional about this and don't be half hinting yeah, at about it
3: about the engagement show well,
1: that's my the point engagement. they're more worried about likes and engagement than actually conducting themselves maybe like they want to as the, I said the should. maybe
3: they wanted to smoke him out and get a
1: like from him maybe they just don't know that's and the hope of no maybe way get to a con- like out that's, of him that's no way to conduct your business I actually,
3: don't think that was seriously their, their mindset on Brand.
1: It. well then what was the point of it
3: what, what's the point of
1: anything that's a silly question you know? What's the point of anything?
3: Like, what's how am I meant of, to answer that? <laughs> like, what's the point of anything? On so, but, like, in this, you can send out something on social media. Because I saw a couple of comments earlier where they got the response they wanted because people are talking about it. I mean, is that... The, the FBI said something recently about how they were top of the charts for social media in 2018 compared to others due to engagements and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I know. It's rubbish. But we're analysing it here now. We're talking about it. Some strategy. Do you think it was a strategic call of just...
1: I think it was eg- idiotic.
3: Someone exuberantly getting. I think it was Idiotic.
1: I think it was a ridiculous way to behave on behalf of the FAI in this very delicate situation. No, it's
3: probably not great. Not great. Robbie Brady then had to get a, a Facebook birthday greeting.
1: For people who haven't seen the post, maybe I'm over doing the no. situation. You're not but happy here, Joe. I just thought it was poor. You wouldn't get the FA doing that, put it that way. Uh, happy birthday to Ireland International at Declan Rice. And they had a picture of Declan Rice in his Ireland jersey, uh, the current Ireland jersey. One, he had. Warren had a photo shoot back in May when he was still obviously playing with the team. And I've no problem, by the way, with them saying happy birthday, Declan Rice. But it was the fact that they had happy birthday to Ireland International, Declan Rice. I honestly was looking at this for about a good two minutes this morning trying to work out, was this an announcement? As in, we've chosen his birthday, just to add a bit of joy to the occasion to announce he is an Ireland International. And look, you made the point earlier on, technically he is he an is Ireland t- International. T- correct. However... That Instagram post at a delicate time has just deliberately ignored the context and the reality of the situation. He's not an Ireland international. He's not actually sure who he's going to play for. And this is just a bit silly. I'd say he
3: knows already who he's going to play for, though. I'm not sure how delicate a time See, it is. But your interpretation of
1: this is he's going to play for Ireland no, and the FAI no, know it, no, is it not? No, not that's th- that's no. what I get the impression you're saying to me.
3: No, I'm, that's the only way that uh, you come out of it reasonably well. I'm not sure at this stage that anti can influence Declan Rice. Like It seems like the decision is... Is, is close so I'm not sure if anything that happened on social media today is going to make him change his mind
1: Gavin says it's like posting happy birthday on Facebook to your ex and including a picture of you both
3: uh, see, i see people probably I mean some people probably do that still
1: it's even a bit worse than that because at least you know that he or she is your ex at that stage this what? is like this is like posting someone one- has said to the other person do you know what I just think we need to take some time here okay Let me just, yeah. let's just cool, it, cool off gonna take some time and on their birthday, a few weeks later, you put up a picture of the two of them. And it's like begging to be taken back.
3: The desperation. There's a, a, pang, there, of desperation there a
1: pang of desperation off this. And I'm thrilled that they got their engagement and their Instagram likes. But if oh, I was... But, but from all the friends, not from the one person they wanted it from. If I was taking Rice, I would look at that and say, that's awkward.
3: Mm. What do I do with that? I mean, I don't know. I, I, it, it, maybe in, in, in weeks to come like, we will be looking back at that moment
1: no, I want to clearly say to you if he declares for Ireland that does not vindicate you, this you think it's, it's absolutely I think it's silly either okay, way yeah. okay,
3: okay I've got your I've got your angle on this clearly
1: I think if the FA had done it it would have been weird as well even if they they had the good sense not even to wish him a happy birthday
3: no well they can't they're not you
1: know, they're not, not involved in mean, him he's been hanging out with Gareth Southgate he's been going to see St George's He's been
3: there once, yeah, but they have to—they still have to write it off to FIFA to get permission to go out with him. <laughs> Effectively,
1: yeah. The-, the best response of all was "Happy birthday, Declan Rice and Robbie Brady" from Jeff Hendrick, who noted <laughs> yeah. that the FAI weren't so concerned about Robbie Brady's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, you were speaking on more definitive matters. Um, Mick McCarthy was at the Soccer Writers. Um, dinner on, on Friday. Friday night. Yeah, He was pretty uh, open with you guys about Patrick Bamford and some others.
3: Yeah, like you spoke a bit about Declan Rice obviously uh, as well, but then yeah, just to, to fly through it, Patrick Bamford at Leeds seems very up for coming to play for Ireland. Uh, Nathan Redmond Southampton a bit more up in the air. Will Keane at Ipswich, who scored over the weekend. Michael Keane's twin brother, he is up for it too it seems and Darren Murphy coming back has not been really out of the equation, although Darren Murphy's life has got very weird now, with Mick McCarthy being the manager now of uh, Ireland and Martin O'Neill being the manager of Nottingham Forest, mm. it's almost like a weird kind of deja vu thing. Like Darren Murphy went to Nottingham Forest to get some peace and quiet and see out the rest of his club career, and all of a sudden events are conspiring to like uh, put him in these really weird, strange
1: situations. There's another ex-girlfriend analogy. Well, there.
3: there's something like Mick McCarthy's like I, mean, I brought you over, to England in the first place you have to come back and do me a favour, and then O'Neill's like, well I played all the time for Ireland, I don't like trap, and now you're going to go, you retired under me, and now you're going to go back and play for that fella, you know. So, I mean, Darren Murphy can't really win in this situation here. There's a whole lot of okay. ex-girlfriend analogies you can draw. And how, it.
1: how highly do we rate Bamford? He was the player of the year a couple of years ago, 2014-15. He's had a bad run with injuries. Yeah, he
3: hasn't started a game for Leeds this year, but in his last appearance he scored. Um, but, yeah, injury question marks, it has to be said. Okay. Um, great pedigree. Um, interesting fella. I think he's into, like classical music and he's sort of an all-round talented uh in, in life in life not just in he'd be a football man he would feature a, a chapter in him and arthur Hofcraft's book
1: would actually sit pretty well quite interested in you maybe doing a book review of a football man when well, you've read it
3: i i want to get it it's, i'm will, gonna like it I think.
1: will you keep an eye on the best passages and come in and read them talk at length about them. I'm interested in this. The George Best stuff actually is great,
3: but I mean this oh, no is a doubt. book that I assume people, a lot of certainly many people would have read this a long time ago, but I only got it there over Christmas.
1: So. I'm under huge pressure looking at the clock to get to Leeds United. Is there anything else you have to mention about Mick McCarthy?
3: No, I think they're the key points. Okay. I mean, ultimately the the, the the desperate search for a striker is such that no stone will be left unturned and it's ironic you juxtapose it against the whole Declan Rice international loyalty thing and yet Another degree, you know, we're just, we'll do it. Whoever we can get.
1: I saw you point out today in the Irish Independent. That um, Shane Long scored obviously the weekend. That's eleven Premier League seasons he's scored in, which is puts him yeah, yeah. right up there with what Keane. Four the two Oli- Keanes?
3: The Only four Ireland players have scored in ten or more different Premier League seasons. So it's Roy Keane, Robbie Keane, and Damien Duff. Now, like, there's longevity in that he's been around for a long period of time. Unfortunately, the other stat is his last four goals for Southampton have come under four different managers. Okay. Uh, he's averaging one per manager's tenure at Southampton. So. Uh, but there is something to be said for like, surviving at the top for that long absolutely. but uh, absolutely he, he still needs to
1: do a bit he's not himself yeah, yeah. He needs to do more. still only 31 mm, it's been 32
3: this month I think yeah, yeah. so he, he is creeping towards that veteran stage yeah
1: that said though it's been a serious enough loss of form for a guy who was, who was scoring a bit more for uh, a couple of seasons to say the least mm. we'll, take a, short, a we'll take a short break we're going over to Adam Pope to talk Bielsa and Leeds in just a moment
0: I think it'd be straightforward me um, but, you know, I, I think it's, you know, there's more talk about it, you know, I don't know why politicians don't do what the country wanted, if I'm honest, you know, they had a referendum, you know, and now we see different politicians and all everybody else trying to put the foot in it with Theresa, instead of getting behind her, you know, why did we have a referendum in the first bloody place? You know, I can't wait to get out of them, if I'm honest. I think we'll be far better out of the bloody thing, mate. in every aspect. And to hell with the rest of the world, hey! Eh? Football-wise as, well. football as well,
1: yeah. Football on
0: off the ball,
1: brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Welcome, Max. So delighted to say we're joined by Adam Pope of BBC Leeds. Hello, Adam. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hey, a strange point to kick this off on. We were just chatting here. Here's the kind of short version, the, the, the uh, spark notes version. And um, we were saying if Leeds get back in the Premier League, it could invigorate the whole area, the whole town. I presume we'll get very excited. And I was wondering if that's because maybe it's um, akin to Sunderland in the, I'm sure you've seen the Netflix documentary or seen bits of it. Yeah. Wondering was there, um, you know, economically was Leeds not in great shape. And I just did a quick... Uh, look at Wikipedia here, it seems Leeds, very impressive economically, I hadn't quite realised. The largest financial centres um, in Britain, outside of the capital, it was the first city across the UK to have broadband coverage right across the city. Seems like its financial insurances uh, services are worth 2.1 billion. Uh, so Leeds actually uh, moved with the Times as a city.
0: Oh, it's been, I mean, I've been over in Yorkshire for, what, three decades now? Having left the Northwest originally, and this place has grown enormously. I mean, as you say, it's been a hub financially, it's been a hub for quite some time now. And I think it would just, just be missing a, a premier league team in it. And you know, the city's ready for it. The fans are ready for it. So yeah, I mean, it's a buzzing place. It is. And obviously we've got a site, we've got a taste of it already this season. And, uh, this time it seems to be, it could be for real. So um, yeah, things are ready here for to have a Premier League football team mm. set. So.
1: There was something incredibly disarming about Marceau, uh, Marcelo Bielsa's um, straightforward honesty and acknowledgement that he had upset Frank Lampard in his Sky Sports interview. I mean, if your pitchforks were at the ready, there was almost a point where you said, oh, okay, he's basically said everything he could possibly say.
0: Look, as far as I'm concerned, he's done nothing wrong because I think some of the outcry against him is because of where he's come from, which is, to be quite honest, is bordering on almost racist, some of the stuff that's been said about him. You know, that sort of thing should be left in Argentina. Well, I'm not being funny, but what he's done has been, for him, best practice across Europe, in Spain, Italy, and France, um, not so long in Italy, of course, but also in South America and across South America. So in that sense for me, how can we judge a man who has brought so much good with him and is and a man of integrity, from what I can see, having met him or dealt with him for a long time now. How can we judge him by this so-called moral behaviour, this moral code that we have in England called fair play, when he hasn't been party to it for all of his life?
1: Mm. He did acknowledge, though, that Frank Lampard was clearly upset Mm. and Derby were clearly upset. And so he probably has crossed the line. I mean, he said as much himself. I'm not outraged, but I don't really think he can be in the habit Mm. of sending people to watch other teams train either.
0: I think you can put it down a sharp practice, but he has not broken any rules from what I can see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have looked, obviously. Look, it probably isn't that well accepted here, but you're telling me that it hasn't gone on before. And we've, I know there's been loads of examples cited over the internet in the last few days and so. So look, he realizes, and, and what he's annoyed about is the fact that, yeah, okay, he has upset Frank Lampard, but also he's more annoyed that, A, the person that did it didn't own up to being, a employee of Leeds at first, and he said that was wrong. And also, he said it overshadowed the whole game. He said it contaminated what was a brilliant game of football, and it became the story. And he didn't want that to happen. So, um, as we're actually apologising for not t- for doing it, I don't think he s- still doesn't feel he's done anything wrong. And and actually said he would do it again, maybe, possibly in the future. <laughs> I would advise him not to do that because I think, I think now we're at a situation where if people are so outraged, and the FA should then make a law to say this is against their rules.
1: I suspect um, they may, to be yeah. honest. Um, but but
0: who's, who's, ma- who's making that judgment though? That, that's what, get- who's making that moral code that he's meant to have infringed?
1: Well, well I, th- I mean, I FA think that they moves could, if
0: they could- FA Cup uh, games left, right, and center, an FA that allows you know, rule, you know owners to come in who, who really could do a lot better. Uh, or, the, or they or should know better than allowing some of the owners that have come into football. No, that's true. Sports. I
1: guess there's an element of water battery there. I mean, you can, uh, you know, you can sort that out. And also, I guarantee if every football club sat around the table and said, well, we make a rule that you can't spy in each other's training,
0: mm.
1: I would be passed fairly close to unanimously.
0: I think you're right. And I think, look, by the standards of this, of of our game, then I can see why people are getting so upset. I just struggle to find that when there is no rule that says you can't do it, mm. then you know you can be morally outraged or otherwise. Yeah. But if he's not done anything wrong, then how do you sanction someone for doing that? I, I just, I just don't. I really don't get that. I really struggle with that. Um, you know, fair play is is such a subjective, you know, measure really, isn't it, to us all? You know, while we allow diving still to continue and haranguing a referees to continue something which he is totally against, by the way then how do we, you know, how do we sort of sanction somebody for doing what he did? I really don't know.
1: What about Leeds on the pitch is almost kind of the bigger issue and the one I was more interested in. This, yeah. this, this hullabaloo will blow over one way or the other and it will all be fine. Uh, so they are four points clear at the top of the championship. Uh, amazing stuff. I mean, we were, you, were, you were very excited at the start of the season. I remember speaking to you and the question yeah. was, would Leeds be able to maintain the high demands of a Bielsa approach?
0: Well, they have and and i and i did say at the beginning of the season i thought well this could be spectacularly brilliant or spectacularly bad it's turned out to be you know the former and they have managed to do it and they've managed to do it with a squad that's been dwindled massively by injuries i mean i mean at last count i think it must be 20 injuries they've had okay some of them have doubled up on on some players uh, now in the midst of a suspension for Calvin Phillips, who's been one of the, if not the player, one of the players of, of the side so far. So in that sense, it's been phenomenal. And it's all down to good coaching. Um, he's made the same bunch of players better than what they were last season, which has been incredible. So can they last the distance? Yes, they can. There's no sign of fatigue or burnout at this stage. Ask me again in another couple of months. We'll have to wait and see. But right now, this lot look like they can finish the job. I think, you know, Adam,
3: people are struck, even with the admission, not to go back to the, the, the Spygate incident, but he's obviously still operating through the translator mm-hmm. and um, that's a part of his sort of public persona. But I mean, just around the sort of covering the Leeds beat, have you got more of a sense of the man and got to know him better in any way or does he still keep his distance to some degree in terms of his public engagement?
0: Yeah, it, it, you don't get to speak to him other than in a press conference and it's all done en masse. You don't get a one-to-one with him. So it's not like I've ever spoken to him on his own or, or or in private or anything like that. So, But because he spends so long talking to you, particularly pre-match in terms of the press conferences, then you can ask him anything you like. So we've got a good idea of just how much of a servant to the game he, he is really and how humble he is. And there are things that we found out that he probably would not want us to find out. How he sent the money back that he's been paid for his salary, if you like, which I believe is seven million pounds, back over to his homeland to, for the building of, of a hotel and, and facilities at uh, Neil's Old Boys in, in Rosario, which is his hometown. So he's got very, for me, he's got some really, you know, sort of um, venerable qualities as a human being. And that comes across when you speak to him. And he's, he's really, really respectful of, of the whole of the country, of where he's living and, and the people's sensibilities. And that's why he understands why Frank Lampard is upset. Um, because I think he does have a deep respect for the traditions of the game, some of them of which he's learning now, as he's only been here a few months.
1: Mm. Yeah, Frank Lampard said he has Bielsa's book at home, and uh, he was yeah. even more upset by the whole thing. I mean, uh, we're, we're dwelling on it a bit, and, and time is against us. It probably isn't ethical, I don't think, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll all get over it and move on. Is the football as thrilling as it was at the start of the year?
0: at times it's coming back to that the other night against derby they were absolutely awesome I mean, they were as good as they were down at, at, at away when they won 4-1 i mean they were it was an absolute battering to be fair right and um, yeah so the football is getting back to someone like and they ha- looks like they're getting a few players back quite soon as well which would be important izzy brown would be a big bonus for them he's played for the 23s today scored a couple of goals so if he does come back like he did, say, for Huddersfield a few years ago when he got them promoted or helped them get promoted, then he could be a real asset. At the, at the minute, the squad's like they do need some of those players back, like Bamford and Co. But some of the football is, is just absolutely outstanding. And uh, it was good to see them get back to the winning ways, having lost three on the bounce, including that cup game uh, just just over the other side of Christmas.
1: So is Ellen Road getting full houses now under Bielsa?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been regularly over 30,000. Uh, nobody's quite sure I'm exactly how much it holds, you know, with corporates and all that. But yeah. there was 35,000 the other night, but it's getting you know, 35, 36. I think you're probably going to see that pretty much all the way through to the end of the season now. So atmosphere just unparalleled, Joe and Dan. It's just incredible. I mean, the, just as a spectacle, just watching the scarves being swung around people's heads and the, and the way they ramp it up. You can see why everybody wants them back in the Premier League, even though they said it might not. They actually do because it is—it's a proper—it's a proper event. I never forget Brian McDermott used to say when he was a manager here. He said it's an event every time Leeds play. It's an event, and it's been like that, and uh, it's been sensational—not just under Bielsa. It was coming back under Gary Monk, to be fair. Tommy Christensen had them going at the end of the season, but right now, this is this is something different. It's gone up a, a notch, and it's because Bielsa has raised the bar.
1: Okay, uh, listen, super stuff, Adam. Thanks a million. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Adam Hope there from BBC Leeds. Uh, Man City have won 3-0 against Wolves. Football on Off the Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store.